Freaks. It's happening. Feels like it's happening right now. Yeah. Downfall of the dollars. Accelerating. The monetary transition is upon us. I mean, it has been upon us, but now it's extremely apparent. Just sat down. Larry Lepard. Incredible human. Incredible sound money advocate. Incredible warrior. In this journey to fix the money. I I, I think I, I meant to say it towards the end of the conversation and to uh, to to put forward a call to action since I forgot it during the conversation I'm going to put it, the call of action in the uh, the pre-show dialogue that we have here share this far and wide it is important to get this message out there I'm not trying to like growth hack downloads or anything I think I, I truly believe that the message that Larry shares in this episode needs to be heard by as many people as possible people need to understand what is going on, the gravity of the situation, and the options that individuals have laid before them right now. Highly recommend you share this with family, friends, whoever you think would be receptive to this episode. We need to educate as many people as possible about the importance of sound money in our modern times. This room is brought to you by our good friends at Unchained Capital, right down the hall from me. I'm sitting in the Bitcoin Commons in Austin, Texas. Unchained Capital is working on building services, financial services that leverage Bitcoin native properties to, to, to ensure that Bitcoiners can secure their Bitcoin, uh, use their Bitcoin as collateral, use their Bitcoin as an IRA vehicle. You know, they're doing incredible things here. If you don't understand um, Unchained's collaborative custody model. It's a two or three multi-sig where you hold two keys. Unchained holds one. You always have control of your Bitcoin as long as you have control of your two keys. Uh, you can sign and move your Bitcoin out of your vault as you please. If you're ever in a pinch and you only have one key, Unchained is there to be the second in the two or three multi-sig quorum. They have a white glove concierge service. It's going to take you from zero to having the multi-sig wallet set up with a thousand cuck bucks worth of sats in it. They'll have video conference calls with you to send you hardware wallets. They'll answer any questions you may have. So it's, it's a whole package. If you tell them that TFTC sent you, you're going to get $50 off that package. Go check out everything they have going on at unchained.com. This rip was also brought to you by our good friends at Brains. Brains. Coming to you live from the Czech Republic. Their incredible company. Uh, doing incredible things from the mining space. They're the team behind Slush Pool, which is the oldest mining pool in existence. The Brains team took over full ownership of Slush Pool within the last couple of years. I forget exactly when it was, but they're running the show now. They have Brains OS Plus firmware, which allows you to stack more sats with your hash. If you have an ASIC that is compatible, the Brains OS Plus firmware, and you're not uh, running it, you're leaving sats on the table. It's as simple as that. Uh, and then they're throwing a conference mentioned they're coming to you live from the Czech Republic. They're hosting BMC 22, which is going to be in the heart of Prague, focused purely on Bitcoin mining. 
It's a one-day event that is packed with panels and presentations. The motto is no marketing or sales noise, just pure Bitcoin mining signal. Pure Bitcoin mining signal. Lead partners include Block, Upstream Data, Ty Kawamoda, Galaxy Digital, Core Scientific, Riot Blockchain, Compass Mining, Atlas Mining, and Priority Power Management. In keeping with the Bitcoin ethos of transparency and openness, the event will be live streamed for free on Bitcoin Magazine. Small, intimate event. Space is extremely limited. They're only selling 350 tickets in total. Join the waiting list on Brain's website or go to btcminingconference.com. And I believe uh, that the actual date is June 15th. They didn't put it in those notes. It might be the 16th. Let me see. Let me type it into my phone right here. btcminingconference.com. It is... June 15th. I was right. Side events on the 14th and 16th. Go check out everything Brains has going on at brains.com. That's B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. B-R-A-I-I-N-S.com. This one was also brought to you by good friends at Hoddle, 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 Hoddle is here to bring you a lending platform. Lend.hoddlehoddle.com is a place that you can go to use your Bitcoin as collateral in a non-custodial way with no KYC, no AML, uh, it leverages Bitcoin's native multi-sig pro, uh, pro, uh, properties as well. The way it works is you put your Bitcoin in a two or three multi-sig escrow account. You hold one key, your counterparty in the trade holds another key, and then Hoddle Hoddle is the third-party arbiter in the two or three multi-sig quorum. Since you hold one key, you don't have control of the Bitcoin. You can't move it throughout the duration alone. However, you do have visibility into that two or three multi-sig wallet, which ensures that you can... Uh, you can ensure that your Bitcoin isn't being rehypothecated throughout the duration of the loan. You put the Bitcoin up as collateral, you get stablecoin uh, in return. As long as you're paying back that stablecoin loan plus the interest associated with it, you're going to get your sats back at the end of the day. Alternatively, if you have stablecoins laying around, you want to get yield on those, you can enter the other side of that marketplace, put your stablecoins up to be lent out to Bitcoiners looking for liquidity. You give them the stablecoins, they pay you back what you gave them plus interest if they don't pay you back plus the interest you get the sats in the two or three multi-sig escrow at the end of the day uh, go check all this out at lend.hodlhodl.com l-e-n-d.h-o-d-l-h-o-d-l.com last but not least this rip was brought to you by bitcoin 2022 conference coming in hot exactly a month from now or excuse me just under a month it's march 7th the conference is April 6th to 9th in South Beach, Miami. It's going to be the largest Bitcoin conference ever. It's going to be bigger than the World's Fair. It's going to be bigger than Live Aid. It's going to be bigger than that that like that movie Project X. You remember that kid threw a huge party and like the whole town came. It's going to be bigger than that. Uh, it's going to be in South Beach, Miami. First day's whale day. Uh, if you're an industry player, you want you want to talk with some heavy hitters in the industry. Whale day is on the 6th and it's a, it's a bit more intimate, a bit more limited. Uh, days 2 and 3 of the conference, 7th and 8th, uh, are general conference days. going to be incredible. A bunch of CEOs in the space. President of El Salvador is going to be there. Tons of talks, panels, presentations, open source demonstrations all throughout those days. It's going to be a blast. And day 4 is a music festival. Steve Aoki is going to be there. Logic's going to be there. Dead Mouse is going to be there. It's going to be a good time. 
Go check it out at b.tc slash conference. That's b.tc slash conference. Use the code TFTC and you're going to get 10% off those tickets. Get them quick. Less than a month away. Prices are only going to go up over the month as well as um, as more tickets get sold. So better to buy them sooner than later. If you're thinking about going, use the code TFTC, 10% off, and enjoy this rip with Larry Lapard. You've had a dynamic where money's become freer than free. If you talk about a Fed just gone nuts, all, all the central banks going nuts. So it's all acting like safe haven. I believe that in a world where central bankers are tripping over themselves to devalue their currency, Bitcoin wins. In the world of fiat currencies, Bitcoin is the victor. I mean, that's part of the bull case for Bitcoin. If you're not paying attention, you probably should be. Probably should be. Mr. Lapard, what is going on in the world? <laughs> What's not going on in the world? This is stunning stuff. I mean, kind of, you know, once every 20 or 30 years sort of stuff. It's really shocking to me. Well, it's, it's for me, it's like, okay, we expected uh, trends to move in this direction, trends being de-dollarization, people fleeing to harder assets and uh, a... a correction in the monetary balance of the world. Did you expect it to play out like this? Uh, how it no, has sure in the last, the last month particularly? I sure didn't. And it, it just goes to show you can never figure out what the trigger is or what the snowflake is that'll trigger the avalanche. But the two, you know, the drinking word for this podcast ought to be uh, counterparty risk, right? <laughs> and uh, the, uh, uh, you know, it started with Trudeau, right? He says, you know, you send a, a donation to some guys who are protesting and I can grab your money. And then it got escalated to the sovereign level, you know, and obviously, uh, you know, what Putin did was an illegal act, but, and the U S says, you know, you, you invade a country without authority, you know, commit a war crime and, uh, we can grab all your foreign reserve assets. And, uh, you know, so whose money is this anyway? I mean, if you're, you know, these governments are basically saying, you know, your money is ours. And, uh, uh, it's just shocking. I mean, it's like a walk, as I said, you know, just before we got started here, it's like a walking advertisement for non-state money, you know, Bitcoin and gold. It's just, it's stunning. Absolutely stunning. It is. And it's, again, it's a sort of like an emperor wears those clothes situation, particularly for the U.S., because especially with the sanctions against Russia, I completely agree. Like what's going on in Ukraine is, is obviously an illegal act, but he, the U.S. gets put in this weird situation where they look like a bunch of hypocrites. Well, it's like, hey, just like 20 years ago, oh, you went into Iraq and Afghanistan under false pretenses and, and, and similar things are not happening. As, yeah. as you and I have discussed before, I mean, there's plenty of government misbehavior to go around on all sides. I mean, using the Nuremberg war crime standards, you know, George Bush is a war criminal for starting the Iraq war. You know, there's, there's no doubt about that. So, and here, these guys are kind of doing the same thing. I mean, these governments are just you know, playing by their own hard and fast rules, you know, that they can do whatever they want to do. And, um, you know, what it tells everybody else in the world, I mean, everybody's watching this, right? And, you know, your foreign reserves, if you're a country, your foreign reserves or your accumulated surplus of, you know, things you've done and, and worked hard for and sold in and above, you know, what you purchased. And that's like your savings account. And, you know, to know that you have them in the Western financial system and the Western financial system says to you, hey, you know, we don't like what you're doing politically. We can grab your stuff. 
it's like, wow, that's an earthquake. And I mean, even China, which is obviously kind of aligned with Russia in this whole thing, they got to be thinking hard about that as well, right? I mean, they've got a lot of foreign reserves. So opens just an enormous Pandora's box. And I think is, you know, I mean, like I said, it's an advertisement for stateless money. I mean, you know, if, if this doesn't create huge demand for gold and Bitcoin, nothing ever will. Yeah, well, I think the it, it, it's a very interesting situation because it, it, it is obvious that Russia and China, to a certain extent, have maybe been preparing for a bifurcation from the dollar system over the last couple of decades. They've been accumulating a lot of gold. Russia's been dumping treasuries. And, and again, you've been tweeting a lot the last few days about the commodities markets. And that's why I'm very excited to speak with you, particularly because I think what we're finding right now is that's where a lot of the signal of, of what's actually happening right. is, is located right now. It's in commodities markets, whether it be energy prices, grain prices, uh, metal prices. Uh, right. The stock markets have fallen, but I don't think they're right. quite... Right. It's, it's, it's a great question, and it's the right area to be looking at. The tricky part is that there are two things going on in there. There's one, the debasement of the currency, so the prices are going up as a result of that. The other is, of course, the supply disruptions. And, you know, if, you, if, you've got, if you're not going to get supply, of course, that can lead to panic buying. That's some of what we've seen. But the, the, re related to that, and the point I think is important to make is that, you know, people say, you know, and I, I credit Luke Roman for helping me a lot in the thinking through of this, although I, I could understand some of it without his help. Um, you know, people say, what did Putin do here? What was the whole point? Was this really about missiles on his border? Was it about, um, you know, all his other grievances with the West? I mean, who, who knows? But to me, the signal that comes through in Putin's move is that Putin is very much here behaving the way Charles de Gaulle did in the 60s. I mean, so he's got a country that has a lot of natural resources and they sell those natural resources for paper dollars that we can print. And I think he just called our bluff on these paper dollars. And he just said, you know what? We're tired of that. We're not going to play that game anymore. You know, we don't like how you treat us politically. You haven't treated us well. You know, you haven't listened to us. You don't, you don't allow us to be a partner at the table when we try to be a partner at the table. And they have, there are times when they have tried and we understand that what keeps your system going is this paper gold fiat system. And as a result of that, you know, we call, you know, we're going to, we're calling you and uh, you need to now start to pay us with real money, not fake money. You know, these, these guys, uh, Putin and these guys, they, he sent representatives to the GATA conferences in the past that, you know, learned about the gold suppression scheme. And if you look at the gold suppression scheme and the petrodollar and, you know, really the, the, the dollar standard that we're on um, as the world's reserve currency, um, that's what's allowed us to have all our power. And he knows it. And I think he reached the point at which he saw us as being vulnerable and he got fed up and he said, okay, I call, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to go start a war and everything you need, I've got, I don't really need much from you. I mean, he exports, you know, hundreds of trillions, at least two or $300 trillion worth of real stuff. And he only imports, you know, between 40 and 80 trillion or billion, I'm sorry, billion dollars worth of, uh, of machine tools and equipment, other things that we make. And he can get that probably and get around the sanctions. And so to me, what he just did is he shot the dollar in the head. And, <laughs> uh, he really did. He, he, he just came out and he just shot the dollar in the head. And it, it's, it's almost in my mind, it's almost a certainty now that the dollar, the dollar reserve currency is going to collapse and we're going to have hyperinflation. I mean, I always kind of thought this was coming because of the way the math worked. 
But now I can see the path of how we get from where we are today to having that happen. Because what are we going to do? I mean, you know, we've got enormous inflation. What's Powell going to do? Come out and try and increase interest rates? I mean, to stop the inflation? I mean, one, it won't work. You know, two, the inflation is going to continue. And three, you know, Gresham's law is going to kick in here in a very big way. And as it does, more and more people are going to realize the only way to protect your wealth is to have stateless money because the state can't make the money good. I mean, it's, it's amazing how far out over their skis the state is on all this paper money we printed. And you and I talked about this in our last meeting, you know, the, I mean, and we can get into it in the future, but the, and, you know, in this conversation, but you know, the amount of paper gold that's out there is just stunning. And the, the correct gold price is multiples of today's price, just multiples of it. Your wife won't believe it until it hits $3,000. No, but my wife doesn't believe that. Yeah. Well, you know, she's been long suffering and I, to be honest with you, I've been long suffering and all us gold bulls have been long suffering and, and all the Bitcoin guys had a, a lot of laughing at our expense in the last couple of years because you guys got a five bagger and we've been sitting flat. And, you know, these two assets are going to seesaw back and forth. And I've, I've often said, and I always said, they're, they're both great assets. And, you know, in, in some ways, Bitcoin's better. In many ways, Bitcoin's better. But in some ways, gold's better. And, you know, that's why I've never gone 100% one way or 100% the other way. Not that I, you know, criticize anybody who wants to. I mean, if you're young and you can take the risk and handle the volatility, Bitcoin's probably the better way to go. But, you know, my investors can't handle that volatility. And so I've balanced the two. And I, I think that's the intelligent approach. And one of the things I always had in the back of my mind was this east-west dynamic. I mean, you know, the west is all based on, on, on fiat. The, the east is very much based on, on commodities, particularly Russia. And, you know, China and Russia have made an enormous, as you pointed out in the earlier part of the conversation, China and Russia have made an enormous bet on gold. Enormous. And, and they're going to have a seat at the table. I mean... You know, Russia has the, the largest pile of natural resources. China has the most, you know, productive manufacturing capacity. And the rest of the world has a lot of good stuff, too. But all three of those groups are going to have a seat at the monetary table, in my opinion, when we reset. Yeah. And as, as an American sitting here right now, I feel very vulnerable, right? Like, because the, the factors that you just mentioned, like Russia and China are producing commodities that the world needs. United States has hollowed out its manufacturing base and financialized its economy. It's essentially a service economy, economy built around the fiat monetary system and trying to gain that any way possible. And, and now, as it becomes pretty clear that that may be coming to an end, like we need to begin reshuffling at home to to protect ourselves and become more secure. Yes and no. I mean, I you know. Look, this is a great country and a lot of great people here. And, you know, you really look at, you listen to the Russians carefully. You listen to the Chinese carefully. I mean, a lot of things are wrong with those countries, but a lot of times they want to be like us. You know, the only thing that's, the thing that's messed up America, in my opinion, is we've been just so hubristic. We've been so arrogant. I mean, if, you know, these countries in the world, I mean, China has said repeatedly they don't want a war, but they've also said repeatedly that we take advantage of our strong dollar system. You know, um, Putin has said the same thing. He said he wanted to be a part of NATO way back when. I mean, these countries want to be like us. The problem we've got is we've got elites in our country that are sickos. I mean, we've, you know, we've got these neocons who, and we've got this military industrial complex who just live off of war and they want to, they want to create conflicts. I mean, I don't think the average Russian wants to kill me. I don't want to kill the average Russian. I don't think the average Chinese guy wants to kill me. I don't want to kill the average Chinese guy. 
But I'll tell you what, there are people at the top of our government who basically, you know, live to have people fighting with one another because it puts them in power. And, you know, as you would say, Bitcoin fixes this, right? Yeah. <laughs> we got to fix it. <laughs> we really do. And it's like, do you, so how does Bitcoin play into this situation in the short to medium term, right? Because I'm sure there's obviously been a lot of talk about Russia turning the union pay, which is one of China's uh, payment rails. And it, it seems like they may be dead set on creating their own gold-backed CBDCs or something like that as well. Do you see China and Russia adopting Bitcoin at all or doing yeah, more in-depth research? I, I, think, I think China's less like, we all know they shoved out the miners, which, mm -hmm. you know, I think, I think, you know, something distributed and, and private like Bitcoin is kind of anathema to a communist system. But both of these countries have, have you know, somewhat adopted capitalism and we're all kind of merging towards some common system. Um, you know, Russia kind of shut it down. But then the word I got was that Gazprom went to Putin and said, no, 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 we're, we're mining this stuff and making money off of mining it. Don't be so harsh. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I think as they both come to study it strategically, they'll realize that to the degree they don't embrace it, they've made an enormous error. Um, you know, as, as Jason Lowry has pointed out. So, um, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure how it all shakes out. I mean, yeah, I, I, look, everybody at the top would love to shove us all into CBDCs and control our spending and, you know, live and live in a Klaus Schwab world, you know, where we own nothing and we're happy. But, you know, the problem they've got is there aren't very many of them and there are a lot of us. And, uh, you know, we're not going to put up with it. And uh, um, so, I, you know, I, I'm very optimistic that the continual um, the weakness of these currencies is going to lead to alternatives and those alternatives are going to also solve our political problem. I, I agree. Cause I, I think this is something that many people severely underlook right now, which is the collapsing confidence in these institutions. Like to think yeah. like, those out there are like, no, we're going to switch to a CBDC. The, the fed's going to create this thing. It's like people are losing confidence in mass in these political institutions and banking institutions to think that they're going to watch the systems that they built over the last decades collapse and then trust them to build a new one just seems a bit far-fetched to me. Completely. I mean, you know, I think the biggest trend of the time is that the, you know, even, even people who are, you know, not necessarily as plugged in or as bright about what's going on are just are becoming incredibly disillusioned because of all the lies they've been told continually. You know, and it, it's gotten worse and worse. And, and you know, as people study the system, they come to realize that the system rewards people who lie and they get that's how they get to the top. And, you know, but that will change. It, it, it has to change because the system is going to reset itself. It, and that we know is really kind of a mathematical certainty. So, yeah. So what would you say to the average Joe out there listening right now or or not, not the average Joe listening, but like, how do you see this transition and this moment affecting well, the common man and you were tweeting about a hyperinflationary yeah, I mean, induced depression yeah i mean sadly sadly i think the transition period here is going to be hard very hard on a lot of people and i you know i mean i guess it's, it's horrible but uh you know i didn't build this system i just live within it and all we can each do as individuals is fight to try and make it a better system and protect ourselves i mean i think that um, you know, people who are honest and work hard and will have productive capacity on the other side are going to be 
just fine. I, I think, um, you know, I think I've said in the past, I, I would, you know, avoid leverage and I would um, keep my savings in sound money. Uh, and I think the two forms of sound money that most people should own are Bitcoin and gold. Obviously, we've talked about that a lot. Um, yeah, the you know, sadly, um, I mean, you know, you see all these commodity prices shooting up and, and that's a symptom of shortages and the currency failing. The flip of that, though, is that, you know, $200 oil or $150 oil and $8 gasoline, I mean, this is going to lead to a recession, right? And then you're going to start having people laid off and then demand is going to fall. I mean, one of the great problems with this interconnected economic system that we've got is every input, you know, it's like the butterfly's wings that they flap and it, it, it gets felt around the world. And so, as I've said in the past in other uh, podcasts, I mean, I think the Fed is kind of driving a clown car between, you know, one guardrail, which is extreme inflation, and another guardrail, which is deflation, um, because, you know, and, and so they, um, you know, until this whole thing happened, you know, Powell was talking about raising rates and everyone was saying oh, they're going to raise them nine times and think about, or, you know, they were clamped, right? And maybe they would have. I mean, they certainly they had to. I mean, their, their credibility was fading fast. So I suspect they would have started to try. Maybe they still will. But the point is that, okay, so let's say, you know, let's say they do that. Let's say they, they close off demand. Let's say in doing that, the bond market tanks, the stock market tanks. And by the way, the stock market is, you know, the wealth effect of the stock market is a huge component of everybody's spending. I mean, you wipe out the stock market and everyone's going to feel a lot poorer. Um, and, you know, then we're going to suddenly be heading towards the Great Depression because, you know, a system that's as indebted as our system is, you know, I mean, the, the, that's the problem, right? I mean, we should have let the system reset in 2003. We should have let it reset in 2008. You know, we're, we're well beyond the point. We've been shoving coins in the, you know, in, in the fuse box for a long time. And so if we ever let it naturally reset, you know, it would look like the 1930s. And so, you know, we can't really do that or they can't really, really do that, in my opinion, because they can't take the political pain. So my, you know, in the in the inflation deflation balance and debate, I think eventually they'll break through the inflation guardrail, because I think, you know, if if things do start to slow down and it does start to get rough, which I think is going to happen, you know, one thing they will not let happen is they will not let the markets fail. And, you know, I mean, what did it take? It took. Um, you know, three trillion post two thousand eight, but that was spread out over three years. I mean, we printed three trillion in what eight nine months at COVID, and and this one, I mean, let's say this one really gets to be big. You know, I, I could easily see this being nine, ten, fifteen, twenty trillion. I mean, it's just each one gets bigger, right? And and at at what point does everyone say, hey, you know what? These guys can't stop. The system is designed to blow apart, and 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 when they when that happens. That's, that's really Gresham's law. I mean, if you study the history of hyperinflations, it happens when a majority of the people come to the conclusion that, oh my God, there is absolutely no way they can stop this printing or else it will collapse. Therefore, what I am holding is going down in value. I need to hold something else. And so, you know, everyone says, well, there's no monetary velocity, therefore you can't get inflation. Well, you watch monetary velocity. When everyone thinks the dollar is gonna fail, which it is, you know, there's going to be a lot of monetary velocity as everybody buys gold and buys Bitcoin. I mean, a lot. Or houses. I mean, we've already seen some Gresham's Law on housing, in my view. I mean, part of the reason why houses are up 20% year on year versus the 2008 example is that, I mean, even in the 2008 housing boom, there was never a year where they are up more than 14%. I mean, to me, everyone there, they're just putting on the Hugo Stinnis trade, which was, you know, lever yourself up and buy something real. Right? I mean, the government will give you 30-year money at 3% to buy something you can live in. Well, guess what? 
people aren't fools. They're like, oh yeah, if I can afford it, I'm going to do that because that, you know, that, that thing I'm buying is going up 20% a year and it only costs me 3% to buy it. And I can use a lot of leverage. You know, that, that makes total sense, right? Yeah. I mean, just sitting here in Austin, Texas, it's insane seeing, right? yeah. seeing how yeah. I mean, Austin has a interesting dynamic where m- many people are leaving in the Northeast and California to to come to the new tech hub, but um, it's being compounded by everything as well. Yeah, it is. And I'm not suggesting that's necessarily always a good trade because if you get too far out of your skis, you buy more house than you need. You know, you, you lose your job and now you can't make the payments. I mean, you know, to the degree we, we, we veer towards the deflationary guardrail, housing is going to fall a lot. I mean, in the Depression, I mean, my grandfather, there was a house that was in Birmingham, Michigan that sold for, I don't know, $30,000, $40,000 in, in the 20s, late 20s. And he bought it for seven, you know, in 1932. So, you know, th- that's quite a drop, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's uh it's very interesting times and it's it, it will be like what does the fed do and when does that collapse in confidence happen i think i think it's happening in real time it's right ha- like, because like this, 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 this is game on i mean it's happening right i mean you had jerome powell come out and say what you're not allowed to say as the fed governor last week which is there could be yeah. more than one reserve currency i mean i think that's him signaling to the market the best that he can like hey the, yeah, the gig may yeah. be up here well and i think i, I saw uh, nick tomorrow's the guy from the wall street journal who's the fed guy you know asked him said are you know are you going to be judged if, if you're able to stop inflation are you know are you going to be able to stop inflation and he said you know kind of yeah i hope so i mean <laughs> but but there was a, there was a condition i mean he used the word hope right i mean it's look i i think I think there's trembling going on all over the place in the halls of power. I mean, absolute trembling. I mean, you know, they, 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 they're not stupid. They know how much trouble they're in. Yeah. And, um, you know, what, what I'm watching for is to see, you know, how they react and what the next moves are and what the new narrative is. I mean, they're, they're, they're undoubtedly trying to craft that right now. Well, the, um, you know, it's, I mean, know. the situation, with Russia and Ukraine is definitely exacerbating the situation uh, or the the inflation situation, but they're trying to throw it all on that. Like, oh no, it's the oh, Ukraine. Absolutely. It's the yeah, Ukraine situation. No, it's, it's That's, a, yeah, I mean, there's some who can say that we arguably pushed them right to that point, you know, and I mean, this very conveniently, it's like the Ukraine dog ate my homework here on, on inflation. Right. You know? Right. But, but I mean, it was inflation was roaring before the Ukraine. This is making it worse. I mean, I think it's interesting that Putin chose this as the time to do it. I mean, I think he realized we were vulnerable. Well, yeah, you know? you're, you're coming out of yeah. a global supply chain crunch, and then you can compound that on the energy and commodity side. And then specifically, it's, it just throws fuel in that fire to the point yeah. where you have Joe Biden going to Nicolas Maduro asking him like, to, to sell us Venezuelan oil. To Right. And... Yeah, I mean, if, if, you know, if Putin wanted to be seen as, as more of a statesman and less of a thug, you know, what he should do is he should pivot. He should, he should declare peace, accept whatever they're going to give him out of the Ukraine, try and get a, a guarantee that, you know, he doesn't get missiles on his doorstep, and then say, you know, look, guys, really behind all of this, what was really bugging me was that you guys have had the U.S. reserve currency and you've abused the world for 30 years and we're tired of it. You know, we're going to a gold standard, period. 
And if you do that, you know, I'll sit here peacefully and we'll play our role. I mean, if, if he did that, you know, he'd be a historical figure of some significance in a more positive light than he's being seen today. I agree. And and that if he does put the ball in, in the West court like that, and that puts the West in a very precarious situation, then they'll look like a boogeyman in history because the alternative to meeting at the table and doing that is world war three. And they, well, that's right. And that, and that's, and that's what's horrifying. I mean, that's, what's absolutely horrifying that, um, you know, that, that, I mean, you know, if you've read a lot of history and you've read how world war one got going and everyone thought it would be short and quick and nothing serious. And then you look at what happened and, uh, you know, you kind of see some of the similar historical accidents being made here. I mean, everyone's, you know, oh, it's just a little thing in the Ukraine. It's not that big a deal. You know, nobody could know it would never go nuclear. It would never get serious. We would never enter blah, blah, blah. I hope all those things are true um, because I've got kids, you know, and uh, you know, I mean, World War II, we slaughtered, you know, 50 million people. Um, historically, you know, most fourth turnings have had wars involved. Having said that, you know, we've now got the form of ultimate war, which I've always hoped would be the kind of thing that would prevent us from, from blowing ourselves up. Um, in other words, the knowledge that we could actually kind of is, is the safety valve. You know, there's, there's no such thing as a limited nuclear war, right? Yeah. Let's hope it's limited to an information war. Obviously, we have a hot war in Ukraine right now, but I think yeah. we're in a battle for the minds of, of the masses. It's, it's crazy um, seeing the way normal people are being sort of ginned up to support like war efforts. Like we're seeing my wife was on Instagram yesterday, and she's like, there's a bunch of people stories or they're posting like, hey, inflation is, is the price of... Uh, punishing Russia like it's temporary <laughs> like higher prices at the pump and at the grocery store are worth it for for peace in the long term and these are obviously privileged upper middle class to upper class individuals who don't understand that that inflation's really going to affect the poor people uh, pre like very hard and and then on top oh, of yeah. that it's not a solution to you're you're they don't even recognize that, that we're not going to like economically choke Russia out in the way they think we are yeah. because they have all the commodities. Well, and the, the other thing I think the West doesn't realize is, you know, the Russian people have endured one hell of a lot over their history. And I would, I would bet on their, their ability to take pain, I would suspect is a lot, a lot higher than the woke West's ability to take pain. You, know? <laughs> you, you get a, yeah. They've, had, they've had several. They've had several hyperinflations in the last twenty years. I mean, it's they've seen their currency be wiped out several times. They, you know, they lost multiples of what we lost in World War II. Um, you know, it's these are these are not lightweight people. Um, and um, yeah, no, it's look, it, it's a very sad situation. I think the the hope, the only hope in my view, is that we can get enough people in the West educated to the fact that this is stupid and we can help those who are suffering through this, you know, through this thing in inflation and we can change the political structure to get back to sound money. I mean, that's, that's ad because it, at the bottom of it all, I mean, you know, my, my Twitter handle is, you know, and I, I borrowed it from somebody I can't recall who now, but you know, fix the money, fix the world. I mean, that's, that is the issue, right? At, at, at the bottom of all of these problems, you know, having unsound money is is what's created this mess. 
And it's, the, and it's, by the way, it's where the war is being fought. I mean, I really think what Putin did was he shot the petrodollar in the head very much in the way that Charles de Gaulle did it in 1967 when he started asking for all his gold back mm-hmm. and that forced Nixon to go off the gold standard. I think that's what this is about. What do you, what do you think is necessary? Like, again, we're talking about like the hubris and the sociopathic tendencies of our leaders here in the West. Like, how do we shake them and say, we're not going in the World War III. You need to uh, enact some extreme ownership, recognize the precarious situation you put yourself in due to hubris and bullying on the world stage. Like, it's time to eat some humble pie. And then, like people will say, oh, you're on American. Like you're, you're not a patriot. Whatever. No. It's like no, you need to be. Everybody needs to be realistic about the situation. Here's absolutely. Here's the landscape, and we have two paths we can go down. We can recognize that we messed up, and we're very hubristic, and have put not only the U.S. but the world in a precarious situation via our bullying tactics, and and say, all right, we're 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 done being bullies, or we can double, triple, quadruple down and, and plunge into World War III. Yeah. Well, again, that's, that's that's the challenge for you, me, and all the people who feel the way we do, and that is to, do, to try and do the best job we possibly can of educating the largest number of people that we possibly can. I mean, I'm, I'm encouraged because, you know, I'm encouraged about this country. I don't think this country is stupid, and I don't think this country is a warmongering country as a general rule. Um, I think there are parts of it which, you know, allow themselves to get sucked up into that thought pattern, but I don't think they're the majority um, based on what I've seen in the voting history of the country. So, um, you know, as long as we don't allow ourselves to get fooled and as long as there's a good alternative press and media and internet and so forth, sorry about that. It's good. Matt, Matt's dogs bark all the time in the back of our. Dogs so. hungry. Yeah, you know. Then, then I think, uh, I think, I think our odds are pretty good at getting out of this without it being World War Three. I really do. Um, I, I think, you know, I, look, look. Perhaps I'm overly optimistic, but I think what's going to happen is we're going to have runaway inflation. It's going to be really bad, and some people at the top are going to get smart enough to understand that we need to do a sound money currency reset. You know, and I'm hoping that guys like Jason Lowry and people in the Pentagon, people in the army, you know, think tank people, et cetera. I mean, there's been a lot written about this. I mean, it's not as if this hasn't been studied. I mean, Triffin's dilemma and the, you know, the whole reserve currency issue has been well known by many people for a long time. And, and so what's really going on is you've got these old powerful elites who benefit from it, who are trying to hang on to it unnecessarily. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've been reading that we're going to have seven or $8 gasoline at, at Labor Day. Well, you know what that means? I mean, <laughs> I mean that's going to be that's going to be an unmitigated disaster, right? I mean, for this country. Right? Yeah, Par- and, Parker Parker Lewis texted me last night. I think he filled up his gas tank. He was like four dollar gas in Texas. Very spooky. Four. That's cheap. I mean, I you know I I just talked to somebody in Connecticut who paid five fifty for premium. Yeah, but, but we're talking about Texas. Texas is usually significantly cheaper than the rest of the country. Right. And like four dollar gas sure. here is like it's crazy. Yeah, fair point. So, so you know, look, the the price signals are going to tell people there's a serious problem here, and you know that's gonna that's gonna ring that's gonna come around politically. 
I mean, it's, Which, you know, it's got to. And speaking of timing, maybe this is uh, this timing actually works out for us and due to the fact that we're in, um, we've got midterms this year. So maybe there's, there's, uh, uh, politicians who really want to get a seat at the table and this is what they can campaign on. Like, Hey, recognizing that we messed up. And if I get in yeah, there, I haven't seen much of that. I mean, the last politician I ever really liked was Ron Paul, but, um, and I haven't seen a lot of that, but, but we have seen some support for Bitcoin and that's encouraging, right? Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, that's a sound money asset. So, uh, you know, look, it, it's, it will become clear is, is my sense. Uh, at least, you know, I don't know, perhaps I'm just, I'm wildly overly optimistic and that we're going to just devolve into, you know, a complete mess and, and, and a shooting war. I mean, you know, I, I sure hope not. I, I really hope not. I do as well. And I, I think I share your optimism. There's too much at stake. There was so much potential. You know, yeah. Ah, right. As, as a society, look at us. We're, we're video streaming from across the country right now. We're sending this out to millions of people around the world. And, uh, we're, 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 we've gotten this far as a society. It would be an, an incredible shame if we were to ruin, because World War III in a nuclear, in a world with nuclear proliferation it is, no. it doesn't work. It doesn't make any sense. I mean, who wants to start that? Nobody. Yeah. It just, it doesn't make any sense, you know, which isn't to say it couldn't happen, but it, I think it's a low probability event to happen. I think, I think, you know, more likely we're going to have a lot of these proxy wars like we're having now. There's going to be a lot of kind of skirmishing around at the edges. You know, I mean, China will probably start being a little more aggressive with respect to Taiwan. I mean, you know, and, and look, all of these great powers have interests that they're trying to protect and defend and they're trying to take care of their people. And in my view, the solution to this is is decentralization, which is what the Internet has brought and which is what. Bitcoin brings in the monetary sphere, right? I mean, we need to get more decentralized because it's these big centralized organizations that, you know, decide to take these, you know, if, if controlled by small groups of elites that see a way to make those organizations benefit themselves, they try to take these policy paths that hurt the rest of us, right? I mean, that's really what's going on. Yeah. And that's what, and again, silver lining, America, great country and good foundation, like states asserting their autonomy. I mean, you even had... Ron DeSantis, when Biden asked him to send some of the Florida uh, Coast Guard or National Guard up for the State of the Union, he was like, no, thanks. They're going to stay here. And so that, like, just that one small gesture of, hey, we have some autonomy. You can't boss me around. I want to see more of that. I think we're going to see more of that. I think Bitcoin will be a part of that. Uh, that completely, completely agree. Completely agree. I mean, it's, you know, um, the... You know, people say it's un-American, you know, the thought patterns we're having here are un-American. I mean, there's nothing really more American if you go back to the founding documents. I mean, you know, the, the issue is that, you know, we've, we've gotten way, way, way far away from the founding documents, right? I mean, the founding documents said only silver and gold could be money, right? Well, that, I mean, I mean what, how's that working out, right? Right, yeah, no, no this is... It's almost like the the American populace has been psyoped and thinking that being a good American is being a warmonger and being a bully. Not, not, not almost like it absolutely is the case. I mean, it's you know they they just it was it's been a long slippery slope. You know the the Fed got established in 1913. It was the money cartel. You know, I mean, it's it, it and the good news is though that there's you know these these technical developments have changed the playing field. I mean. You know, the Internet really is the Gutenberg press of our day. Right. And, 
know, if you consider the nation state to be, you know, the Catholic Church of the, you know, 14th century, you know, the internet is is the press, and and you know, they're, they're alternative sources of information now, and everyone's figuring that out. And you know, the New York Times does not tell everybody what to think anymore. You know, people get to decide for themselves, and they get to gather information any way they want to. And so that, that's a powerful change, and and it's going to be in the long run, it's going to work out great, but. In the short run, we're going to go through a real rocky monetary period, in my opinion, because I don't think the world, the world has not experienced a sovereign debt crisis like this since the 1930s. And <laughs> so there's nobody alive today who's lived through one, including well, yeah. me. Well, even and all that. I've read about it. <laughs> yeah, well, so, even that, like this, this crisis is probably going to be an order of magnitude larger in terms of the amount of debt that we've accrued. Well, there's that. Yeah, there there is that. I mean, it's it's certainly going to be larger than 08. I mean, 08 was a warm up to this. 08 was, you know, at, at the housing level in one country. This is at the sovereign level and it's worldwide, you know, and, and more importantly, it's at the sovereign level with the world's reserve currency, which is the dollar. Yeah. And so that's actually another thing I wanted to talk to you about. Like, so obviously you uh, are very closely uh, aligned and you, you understand the gold market probably better than most people on the planet. And there's very strong arguments to be made. I've been convinced that gold markets have been manipulated um, okay. via paper for, for some time. What does an uncoupling or how do, does gold break through that manipulation during this crisis? If so, what happens exactly? That's a, that's a great question and something obviously I spent a lot of time thinking about. I mean, so they've created a lot of paper gold. First of all, let's just quantify the, the numbers on it because I think it's helpful for people to understand. So in 1980, uh, well, in 71, we were on a gold standard. You could more or less take the U.S. gold reserves, 8,300 8, tons. And it's roughly 266 million ounces. Um, you, could take, you could take that divided into M1. You got the 35 bucks, which is what the set price was coming out of uh, Bretton Woods. Um, obviously in the sixties, what happened is, you know, guns and butter, we started spending money. Um, actually we did a little bit before that with the Korean war, but it was just a blip and more or less from world war II to the mid early sixties, we, we ran kind of balanced budgets. We were fairly monetarily responsible. So, you know, the gold standard worked for us at that time. Then we started spending a lot of money and, um, other countries noticed that. And so, um, you know, they got to the point where they said, hey, hang on a second, you're, you're running deficits. You want us to pay for it because, you know, we're having to hold your dollars and, and you know, you're diluting your dollars. So you're, you're more or less stealing from us. And the, the, the firm that or the company country that figured it out the most and the quickest was uh, France. And that's because they had a brilliant economist there, a guy named Jacques Roof, and he, he advised uh, de Gaulle. And so they started asking for their, their gold back. And, um, and the U.S. had, you know, huge reserves coming out of World War II. And they, they started to be depleted very rapidly. In fact, in my next quarterly, I'm going to show the chart of that, how they came, they went from, I think it was roughly 20,000 tons down to 8,300 tons. And um, that whole process um, um, kind of showed, you know, that, um, uh, you know, you can't spend too much without having your currency weaken. Uh, and so what happened then is in 71, Nixon broke the gold standard, as we know, it was $35 and um, the market quickly picked up on the fact that we weren't getting any more fiscally responsible and drove gold from 35 to $800. Well, when it got to $800, it's interesting that at that point in time, if you did the same math, remember in 70, in, in the early sixties, you could look at the money supply outstanding, the ounces of gold, and we more or less were on a gold standard. 
by the late 70s, it, at the $35 an ounce, we had gone way off the gold standard because we were spending too much. By the late 70s, if you did the same math, what you find is that we were on about a 55% coverage. This is the number of ounces divided into the M1 money supply. So, and, and historically in Britain, they, they were able to de determine that if you had 30 to 60% gold coverage, in other words, you had that amount of gold as compared to your M1, that was good enough, you know, that you, because um, 100% of the M1 wasn't going to come ask for the gold all at one time. So anyway, the point I'm making is that in the 80s, we actually had it reasonably well covered, 55% covered. If, if gold had gone to $1,500 in 1980, we would have had it 100% covered. Okay, fine. Volcker came in, put rates up, you know, reassured them that, that they weren't going to print any more money, got money supply growth under control, and we entered a deflationary period. Technology took off. Um, later on, China came in to provide low-price labor, et cetera. And so we had a very long deflationary period. Well, throughout that, we kept eventually, slowly but surely, running more deficits and printing more money, but, but nobody picked up on it, and the gold market didn't pick up on it. And the reason the gold market didn't pick up on it is that we got pretty good at, at manipulating the gold market, and that, that grew out of a paper that was written by Larry Summers and, and Barsky called Gibson's Paradox, which you can find on the web. And then he, they influenced Robert Rubin, who was an advisor to, um, uh, to Clinton, and he was Treasury Secretary at the time. He also had been a gold trader at Goldman Sachs. And he said, look, what you need to do is grow the money supply, but you need to grow it without having inflation show up because inflation will, you know, it, it's, it's a free lunch. If we can grow the money supply without having inflation show up, you're going to get great economic growth and it's not going to cost you anything. It's not going to visibly cost you anything. What it does cost you is there's really underlying inflation in the money supply, but you can hide that. And they figured out how to hide it was they could go into the commodities paper gold markets and, and sell gold that they didn't have. And that's what they did. And so now you've got this enormous unallocated paper gold market. We don't know how big it is. Luke Roman's done a lot of work on it. Um, other guys have done work on it. Roman has done work on it. Others have done it as well. But there's clearly, you know, between 220 and, you know, 500 or perhaps as much as 1,000 ounces of paper gold for every ounce of real gold in the world. So you're running a big fractional reserve gold market that if anybody came and said, hey, please give me my gold, if everyone came at the same time, there wouldn't be enough gold. The gold price would explode. So, so you've effectively created you know, a fake market. And this is the, this is the vulnerability that Putin saw uh, because he went to the GATA conference and learned about it, or he had a representative go to the GATA conference and learn about it. And as a result of that, that's the underlying weakness, the, the, the unallocated gold market. And there's no other commodity future which has a similar sort of structure where there's that much unallocated paper as against what's underneath it. Well, the math on, just so you know, the math on that market today if you were to go and you look at the gold that the U.S. holds or theoretically holds, because I think we've probably let some of it go, but let's assume for the sake of argument that we have 8,300 tons. Um, if you did the math on that today as compared to, to M1, gold would need to be $78,000 an ounce today to give 100% coverage on the gold standard. And it would need to be $25,000 an ounce today to provide 25% coverage, which is or 25 to 30% coverage is kind of the minimum necessary. Now, as you know, 25,000, 78,000 are a lot bigger than 2,000 or 1,800. And that, that shows you how far off the sound money trail that the gold and how, how much the gold price has been suppressed. And, and Bitcoiners are right. You know, gold is broken. Gold has not worked. Gold has failed. But Bitcoiners are wrong about one thing. They're wrong when they say gold has an enormous monetary premium in it because it doesn't. It's been manipulated out of it. I mean, it costs about $1,200 on average to to, to pull an ounce of gold out of the ground, you sell it for 1800 until just recently. 
600 a profit. Well, that 600 has to, one, pay the capital to build the mine and keep the mine going, which is generally quite high. And it also has to find more gold because, you know, once you've mined gold, you've, you've got to replace what you've mined. So, you know, it's not as if the gold business is just swimming in profits right now. I mean, it is relative to a lot of other industries. But, but the point I'm trying to make is that if we were to properly try to set the price of gold relative to the money supply, it would be in a completely different zip code, as Luke likes to say. You know, it wouldn't, it's not going to 2,000 or 3,000 or 4,000. It's going to a much higher number. And this is why, I mean, other people have pointed this out. I'm not the first to do this. I mean, James Rickers has the same numbers. Dan Oliver has the same numbers. You know, Luke has the same numbers. Roman Manley has the same numbers. I mean, there, there are many people who observe this. But the gold market is not at all attached to the monetary market today. And people say, well, you can't go to a gold standard. You don't have enough gold. That's bullshit. It's like saying you can't go to a Bitcoin standard. There's not enough Bitcoin. Oh, yeah, you can. You can go to any of those standards. All you got to do is have higher prices in today's terms. That's what's the that's the issue. And so what forces that issue is a run on the vaults, essentially. So you'll have countries. Yeah. So in, in there was a gold pool that happened in the 60s, um, the London gold pool. So when they when things started to come unglued in the 60s, and the U.S. started to spend too much. Central banks realized that if they let the gold price get above $35, that was going to mean that there was inflation and the whole system was coming unglued. So they all pulled together and they created the London gold pool. And, you know, they did everything that people did today. They, they sold it at strange times. They dumped large amounts on the market. They, they spread rumors about how much gold was available, et cetera, et cetera. And the whole goal was to hold gold at a $35 price, right? And, and they were able to do it throughout most of the 60s. And by 67, though, they just didn't have enough gold. And people, the, the, the weakness of a suppression scheme like this is that, yes, you can say, you can, you can issue a paper claim, here's your gold, okay? But what you can't do is when somebody says, please give me the ounce, please give me the gold ounce. I want to see it. I want to hold it. I want it in my hand. Well, you can't give them a paper claim for that, right? You either have the gold ounce or you don't. And if there are 100 claims for every ounce that exists and enough people ask for the ounce, this is musical chairs where there's only one chair and there are a lot of people circling it, right? So that's going to be the underbelly that gets, you know, that's going to bust this thing wide open. More and more people, as Gresham's law kicks in, more and more people, I mean, what happens, you know, and this is this is Rickard's Ice Nine thesis, which I hadn't read until recently, but I, I came up with the same thesis on my own, which is what happens when gold goes up, you know, we wake up some morning and gold is up $1,000, you know, and, and then the next day it's up another thousand dollars. And then the day, and then after that, it's, I mean, would gold holders sell into it? I'm I most probably wouldn't, I'm not sure I would, you know, and then, then it goes no offer. You see where I'm going with this? I mean, mm -hmm. it's, you know, you, 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 this is, this is a run on the bank, right? This is the, this is the, the, the equivalent of, you know, I mean, if you're running a fractional reserve bank, I mean, this is, you know, this is, it's a wonderful life, right? I mean, it, you know, there's a bank run. Oh my God, let's go get our money out of the bank now while we can, right? Let's be, you know, I mean, you got to be first or there's not going to be any left for me. Well, that's, that's what we're talking about. That's, that's the thing that we're talking about here. I mean, there's only so much gold in the world. Gold has been money for 5,000 years and every human being on the planet more or less understands that there's value in gold because it's, it's a, it's a token for the energy that it took to mine it in the, in very much in the same way that you know, and it's an analog token, right? Very much in the same way that Bitcoin is a digital token for the energy it took to mine it. And in many ways that's superior because you can move it more easily, you can store it more securely, 
you know, you can't rehypothecate it. You can't create paper Bitcoin. Well, that's not entirely true, actually. You can create paper Bitcoin, but but there isn't as much paper Bitcoin today as there is paper gold and so forth. So yeah, if you have your your if you have your Bitcoin on an exchange, you have paper Bitcoin. Well, that's right. That's that's the other thing. I mean, it's you can own GLD, but you know, I mean, they read the prospectus carefully. I mean, they can force majeure settle you out at you know yesterday's closing price. And the fact that gold's now trading at ten thousand dollar an ounce, and yesterday it closed at two thousand. Well, I'm sorry, I should have read the prospectus, right? Yeah. So, and so, in your mind, who actually has the gold? I think that uh, obviously there's a uh, there's a lot of speculation well, about Fort Knox and whether or not that's uh, yeah. that's actually supplied. Does Russia Russia holds their own gold, right? Like they've been smart. Yeah, to, uh, I think they, I think China has a lot more than they say they have. Russia holds a lot. You know, Indian. Indian women hold a lot. Yeah. Um, sadly, Americans don't own nearly as much as we should. Um, and but frankly, there's a lot in the ground. I mean, it's not as though all the gold in the world is is has been surfaced yet. I mean, you know, we've got mines that are economic to mine at, at two thousand dollar gold. I mean, at ten thousand dollar gold, you know, you'd be surprised at how deep and how far and wide we can go to find more of it. You know, um, so there's there's still a lot of gold in the Earth's crust. I mean. The big fat deposits have been found. I mean, this is very much very much like the oil market. You know, there aren't any Saudi oil fields laying around in the gold business anymore. You know, we're down to thinner pickings. But you know, spend enough money and you can get gold. I mean, there's gold in the ocean. I mean, you can. You know, I mean, there are golds in lots of places. But um, yeah, so that's that's kind of that's kind of the background there. Yeah, uh, Canada shouldn't have sold all your gold. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, Britain, they shouldn't have sold all their gold. And I mean, this this actually brings up an issue that I, I should talk touch on because a few people asked me before this about it. You know, and Luke had tweeted about it or uh, had a podcast about this recently. I, mean, I do get concerned that, you know, as we move towards gold and Bitcoin being money, these sovereign states are going to try and do everything they can to get their arms around these two assets because they, they know they, they know and understand how important they are. I mean. And so, you know, seizing gold mines, requiring people to report Bitcoin addresses, um, you know, you name it. I mean, these, you know, look, we're, we're playing for all the marbles here. I mean, we're playing for all the monetary marbles. And so, you know, I mean, I, and, and so, you know, okay, it's not a kinetic war where it's going to be a nuclear war, but, you know, an all monetary marbles war, you know, you're going to see, you know, elites and governments doing stuff that I think is going to shock you. I mean, I know I was shocked when I saw Trudeau, you know, say he could seize somebody's bank account. Now they apparently got him to back off that a bit, but you know, really, is that where I think they're going? And then, and then I was further shocked when I saw the United States saying, "Yeah, all these Russian reserves, they're ours." I mean, really? Yeah. I mean, that, that's really an act of war. I mean, there's just no other way to to to, to look at it, right? Yeah, and well, this is harpens back to something we we're talking about earlier. This is why. These these media and information sources are so important to get out to the public. Like, hey, the government's done this. Number one, Executive Order sixty one hundred two in in the thirties. They've already confiscated people's gold, which you could argue led to us being able to completely detach ourselves from any type of gold standard at Brenton Woods. Like, we're going to do it. We're going to at least try to do it again with gold and Bitcoin. Just like, how do we? articulate to the public like don't let this happen and bitcoin 
That's why I like Bitcoin so much. It's significantly harder to do this because you can just hold it yeah. 12 words in your head. And it's, right. it's how is it even possible to get public perception to a point where you have a mass movement to just basically put your hands out and say, no, we're not allowing you to do this when they eventually and inevitably do try to do it. Yeah. Um, I think it is. I mean, I, again, you know, millennials will grow up, you know, millennials get it. Um, you know, we've already got a couple of Congress people. We've got a couple, we've got a, at least one Senator, maybe two arguably, and several Congress people who get it. Um, you know, 10% plus of the population owns it in three or four years, that's going to be 30 or 40%. Uh, you know, the word is spreading fast and, you know, people, people, you know, a lot of people, they shit on the American public, they shit on the average American person. But I, I think people are just a lot smarter than people give them credit for when it comes to matters of, you know, their own security, their own money, a lot of other things. I mean, you know, the, the bailouts, let's just take an example is the bailouts, right? The, the, the 2008 financial bailouts, right? I mean, that was a, that was an evil act. That was a criminal act. That was wrong. That was unfair. And you know what? 98% of Americans knew it. I mean, they, they just, they totally got it, you know, or, or certainly 90% of them got it. I mean, I, I don't know many people who said, oh yeah, no, that was right to bail all those people, you know, those guys out. And so, you know, I think if the US government starts coming around and saying, hey, you know, um, you know, your Bitcoin is our Bitcoin. You know, we have a right to know this. We have a right to know that. You've got to turn, you know, if, 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 if governments go draconian, I think there's going to be big pushback. I think there's going to be a really big pushback, especially in America. Yeah. I I can't see, I can't see Americans putting up with it. I just can't see it. No, I can't see millennials or Zoomers looking at anything. Yeah, you just don't want to be mean or anything. Just look at the state of our leaders, whether it be Joe Biden, Nancy Pelosi, or all people that we wouldn't let drive cars because they're so old and they can't, like, like, all right, you. (laughs) Yeah. I hadn't thought of it in those terms, but I mean, I, I think I think there's no doubt that, that you know anyone with their eyes open can see the corruption and just how deep and embedded it is on all the way through. I mean, it's not it's not specific to one party; it's specific to the system, which is sadly very very broken. But once again, Bitcoin fixes this. I mean, it you know it will, and you know there's I, I'm I'm you know look I think what we're looking at is going to be extremely messy. Don't get me wrong. But I'm extremely optimistic and um, I'm actually quite excited that things are taking the pace they're taking because, you know, if, if you look at all this stuff, I mean, it's like, you know, I got a fixed time window here. I mean, I can't, you know, I'm, I can't wait 30 years for this to happen. I mean, you can, <laughs> but I can't. <laughs> I can, but I don't want to. But, no, yeah. exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I think if, you know, if the system, I mean, it's, it's like tearing a bandaid off, right? I mean, if the system's broken, which it is, and we want to have a better system, which you know needs to be fixed, which we do. All right, fine. Let's you know let's get on with it. You know let's let's rip the bandaid off, fix this. You know have it be bad for a while if need be, and get on it and and build the correct build a better system. Right. I mean it's you know that's the Jeff Booth argument. I totally agree with that. Yeah, that's the beauty of Bitcoin too. The system is already being built parallel. Uh, well, that's right. That's exactly right. And I you know I I'll tell you actually one way I orange pill people these days is um, I take them through the strike app. And I just try and show them and I'm like, you know, look at this. Wouldn't you like to be able to pay this way and not have to pay MasterCard and Visa, you know, 300 basis points? You know, I mean, this is, this is just a, it's, a, it's, it's, 
it's going to change the world, right? And yeah. everybody's going to be doing it. It's going to seem obvious looking backwards, but looking forward right now, you know, most people aren't even. And when I when I start talking about strike, I mean, everybody's eyes glaze over. Nobody I know knows what strike is. Nobody. Yeah. I mean, unless you're a big player, you wouldn't, wouldn't know, right? I mean, yeah. well, no, they shouldn't change their name. I mean, it's going to become a household word. No, I said they're, they're changing the game. Oh, they're changing the game. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, speaking of orange pilling, the last time we spoke, it was right before you were about to go to a, a gold conference in Louisiana to give a rally cry for yeah. Bitcoin to an audience of gold uh, gold enthusiasts. How how was that, and how That's have your conversations with other gold investors been in regards to Bitcoin? Yeah, I'm glad you asked, and I, that, that speech is out there, and I'm, I'm proud of it. I took a lot of time working on it and writing it. I, I, I've said this before in podcasts, but I think everyone should know it. That was pretty interesting. So first of all, you go to a gold conference and you know, there are a lot of, I mean, the, the age tends to be kind of on the older side. There aren't a lot of millennials there and, and probably not even, you know, Zoomers and, and, and so forth and, and Gen Z, um, you know, or Gen X. I mean, and so, you know, we've got a big audience, call it a thousand people. And uh, one of the speakers had the, you know, the intelligent idea to kind of ask, hey, hey you know, everybody here, we, we know you all own gold. That's obvious. Um, everybody here who owns Bitcoin, raise your hand. I think half the hands went up. And so I was impressed and 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 happy about that. I mean, I think, you know, the, the two investment theses align perfectly in terms of sound money, Austrian economics, you know, what's been going wrong. So, um, and, you know, I had a few people come and argue with me and they couldn't get past the physicality argument and all the, you know, all the standard Peter Schiff kind of stuff. But um, I would say in general, you know, I, I think I probably orange pilled a few people in the sense that they thought, you know what? I mean, I'm not selling all my gold, but maybe it does make sense to have a little bit of a allocation into this area. And so, um, you know, I, I think a gold bug is your easiest orange pill target because they get the monetary piece. I mean, some people don't even get that, right? Yeah, that's what, uh, I mean, we did this the first time we spoke. We think gold, gold investors and Bitcoiners are on the same team. We're all on the sound money Absolutely. team. <laughs> Just stop infighting with each other. Uh, I, think that's, I think that's actually slowed down and calmed down. I do as well. I mean, I, yeah. I mean, I know that I try not to dump on Bitcoiners because Bitcoin's been, you know, flat. I mean, and I try to even defend Bitcoiners because, you know, Bitcoin's been soft recently. I know some people are kind of like, geez, this is no fun. Um, and, and gold's been doing okay. And I mean, neither one should be doing victory dances when the other one doesn't work. And I, I, I've always, I've long maintained that Bitcoin's going to crush gold's performance in the longer run. But gold is going to be more stable throughout the entire run. So if if you can't handle the volatility, you know, then then maybe gold is the right choice for you. Yeah, you can hear Bitcoiners screeching in the background. Guys, stop screeching. Okay, it's okay to say these things. <laughs> it's probably, it definitely is true too. There is going to be less volatility. Well, I mean, look, we you know we, we've really got a com. I mean, everyone says, well, you know, there has there must be one. I've heard all that. You know, blah blah blah. I know, I know Sailor's argument. I get it, but. You know, we've really got a common enemy, which is which is you know a statist-run currency that you know that is just you know they're living off of their privilege, right? I mean, they're they're printing money and 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 doing what they want to do, and every day we pay for it at the gas pump or at the food at the food store, and you know, no, I'm tired of that. You know, I'm tired of having my savings be debased and ripped off by people who you know want to benefit from doing that. It's an um, it's an inherently evil system. It's weird that it absolutely, it absolutely is. Yeah, all of it's society. I mean, it, yeah, it's criminal. I mean, you and I can't print money, you know. But 
people who can are revered as Federal Reserve governors, you know, and, and listened to. And, you know, people put credibility in what they say. Some people, not, not all. Yeah. Yeah. So how do we prevent ourselves from doing this again? If the reset does happen, we do transition to a sound money. I'm always, that's a thought that always lingers in my head. Is it inevitable uh, to, to stray away? That's our, grand, that's our grandkids' problems. I mean, <laughs> you know, I mean, humans are humans. We'll, we'll figure out some other way to you know, mess it up, no doubt. But, yeah. but I mean, I think that you know, I think the, the issue of inflation will, you know, and, and, and monetary, uh, monetary abuse that'll be taken out of the hands of, of large governments and, and solved, I think, when, when we're on one of these standards or, or some combination. I mean, you know, to me, uh, the, uh, money really is, is a representation of energy. So you could, you could do a gold standard, you could do a Bitcoin standard, you could do an oil standard, you could do a hybrid of the above, you could do a commodity standard like the Bancor, which was proposed by Keynes at, at, you know, at Bretton Woods. I mean, just... We need to do a. We need a standard that reflects sound money principles, such that it doesn't give somebody signorage, privilege, and power over the money supply. I mean, it was Rothschild who said back in the 1800s, you know, let me control the money supply. I don't care who makes the laws, and that really is true. I mean, you know, if, if you control the money supply, you you know you can get rich at, at the expense of everybody else. I mean, you know. That is the cotillion effect. And, um, you know, those who are in power have used it to their advantage massively at the expense of the common man. It's, and it's tragic. Absolutely tragic. Yeah. I'm very bullish on... Well, it's a shame what's going on from an energy policy perspective here in the United States. I hope. It is funny seeing everybody come out of the woodwork, uh, whether it be Mark Andreessen, Elon Musk, like we need to drill, we need nuclear. After... <laughs> Suddenly, suddenly, Greta's not looking like such a genius anymore, right? No, no, no. Yeah, nor are any of the uh, thought leaders in the energy policy space over the last two decades in the West. It's and 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 again, and Bitcoin is driving a lot of this too. I mean, we're seeing it in the oil and gas industry at Cathedra. Like people are waking up in the energy yeah. sector to to begin integrating Bitcoin mining operations into their operational stack. Uh, it's yeah. It's happening. And that's, like you said, a a currency backed by energy to a certain degree. Like I, this is what I tell the energy companies that that are thinking about becoming miners. Like you are going to be uh, replacing the Federal Reserve. You're not going to be, you're not going to be controlling the amount of Bitcoin that exists or an interest rate associated with it, but you're replacing like the Fed window essentially at the mining pool level where you, you you are no, no longer is the creation and distribution of money confined to a small window that only primary dealers have access to? Anybody in the world can have access to it if they're exactly right. so willing to buy an ace. And that that concept in and of itself is massively revolutionary for humanity. Like this, like just absolutely, the window no, is constricted to this, and we're going to open it up to where you can't even you don't even know the the edges of it. The democratic nature of it all is just stunning. I mean, it's it's really a thing of beauty. I mean, it, it uh, and I, you know, that's obviously you got to go for, you know, quite a ways down the rabbit hole to fully understand those implications. But once you once you start to, and you just think, wow, this is really great. You know, we may be able to get peace on Earth. Uh, certainly, certainly in that direction. I mean, yeah. I, you know, 
there'll always be humans that want to fight with other humans, I suspect. Yeah, I do as well. <laughs> but, but, but maybe not at industrial scale in, in nation state form, you know, and that would be a big positive. It would be. So, it would be. We just got to, like, hopefully we can get through these next weeks, these next months without uh, getting well, into World War Three. Yeah, I, I like I say, I, I'm pretty optimistic that that, that won't happen. I, I think, I think you know, it's a prisoner's dilemma, right? It's it's mutually mutually assured destruction is actually really a pretty big anti-war thing. I mean, it, it um, you know, there's just no, there's no sense. There's no sense in going there. No. So, um, having said that. You know the, the the monetary war is going to rage. <laughs> oh yeah, it's it's going to rage, and it's for all the marbles. And you know, there's going to be a lot of volatility, and um, you know, it's going to be very tough. And as I said, you know, I think I said earlier in this broadcast, my my probably my number one thing is you know, focus on not being if you monetary wise, focus on saving in sound money terms and not being leveraged, and then. You know, beyond that, I, I tweeted it the other day. I just said, you know, I focus on physical fitness and community mm-hmm. because, in a, you know, if we're going through tough times, which I think we might be going through, you know, being physically fit and healthy is always better than not. And then, you know, community is what, you know, has your back so that if to the degree things start going in the wrong direction, it, you know, none of us work too well alone. We all work well in groups. So, yeah. You're uh, all you millennials out there. You have to pull your head up from your phone, myself included, and uh, go <laughs> shake your neighbor's hand. <laughs> yeah, uh, phones are great, though. They are. Yeah. They, they, they're double-edged swords in some some regards as well. Yeah. Uh, people can get lost in them, and uh, it's uh, get very antisocial. That's why. Yeah. That's what we've been pushing here. Go shake your rancher's hand. Make sure you know your neighbors. Uh, decentralize, support your local economy. Yeah. Uh, Larry, this has um, been a pleasure as always. Thank you for... Likewise, Thanks. Th- thank you for taking some time out of your Monday to speak with me. It's crazy times in the world. Uh, it's, it's stuff that you've been predicting for many years. Is It seems like it's 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 coming to fruition oh. right right in front yeah, of our in eyes. Some ways, in some ways, I wish it wasn't, but it, you know, I, I've, I've often said my, you know, I'm cursed with the, the skill of analysis. I like to figure stuff out. Not always good, but, you know, systems work in a certain way. And if you can understand a system, you can kind of see where it's going. Yeah. You either recognize and accept it or put your head in the sand and, and hope that it isn't true. That's that's never a good strategy in the long run. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, Bitcoiners, Bitcoiners have already recognized and accepted it. So it's a, it's a unique thing. I think. I think probably the, the best thing everyone can do is just try and spread the word. I mean, it's you know we need we need to get further up that um, that adoption curve. Agreed. You know, more orange-filled people, more knowledgeable people. You know, I mean, Bitcoiners should be friendly, positive, outgoing. I mean, I will say that. I mean, I went to that gold show, and um, boy, the gold guys are just you know tired and beaten down. We've been fighting this battle for thirty years. You know. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's we are. I had it up earlier on Twitter. We, we are Lucy in the football, right? I mean, Charlie Brown, Lucy in the football. I mean, we've had that football yank so many times; it's ridiculous. And uh, um, you know, and that's where the Bitcoiners are so much more fun to be with, because you know, it's just you guys are winning. <laughs> you know, and and now now maybe you're getting a football moment in this in this correction. But but the point is that that in general, 
Bitcoiners are much more optimistic and positive than gold people. So, uh, you know, we're all sound money advocates. Uh, you know, I'm so glad you guys came along and are on the team and are, you know, another weapon in the in the effort to destroy this uh, this money cartel that these these evil guys have, have set up. You know, that we have to live under. Yeah. If anything, we're just good at memeing. They just get it <laughs> ridiculing the. Uh, <laughs> Income. Maybe it's no, I think it's better than that. I think it's better than that. You're <laughs> you're wicked smart. I mean, it's uh, you know, I look at guys like Jack and you and Parker and you know Matt and all the other Matt O'Dell, all the other guys. I'm just like I'm blown away with how you know what a good group of young people we've got in this community. So it's it's awesome stuff. It really is. It's a, a privilege and an honor to be here with you and the others you mentioned, and yeah. it is yeah, I think it is. I feel very fortunate. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just the old guy that provides context. I've been at this for a while. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't relegate yourself to, to the old guy who to just provides context. I think you do more than that. Uh, it's uh, again crazy times, scary times, exciting times. Hopefully, we get out on it's, the other. It, it's all good. It's all good. I mean, what what just happened was an earthquake. I mean, that that's the summary of our our discussion here. What just happened was an earthquake. Putin just shot the dollar in the head, and it accelerated our cause. It actually accelerated our cause. It's going to be, it's good. Things are really moving now, you know. Yeah. And I, I, I was once worried that this was going to take into the 2030s to unfold. No, I don't think so. Oh. This is going to unfold faster. Yeah, we may look much back. Faster. We may look back yeah. at 2025 and be like, oh, that well, I was going to really say. Quick. I mean, the ball is really rolling now. So you know, it's it's going to get very interesting. It is interesting, but it's going to get more interesting and sooner, I think. You know, um, yeah, I look at the gap from 2008 to 2020, it was quite a gap, you know, 2020 to now, not, not such a gap. You know, we got a crisis going on now. I mean, they're, they're coming fast and furious, right? So, yeah. 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 Like you said, confidence is key and confidence is, is waning pretty quickly. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you again for joining. Yeah. Thank you. I know I didn't let you wrap up last time. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's fine. This time I'll let you wrap up. <laughs> I can keep going for hours. I want to respect your time. Yeah, no, I could too. And I, but, but, but I think we've covered everything we need to cover. And I'm happy to come back any other time. We'll talk some more. No, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be talking some more on this show in the future. Um, there's, uh, we'll be talking about uh, Bitcoin and gold succeeding in this. In this, are you, are you going to Miami? I am. I am. Oh, great! I'll see you there. All right. See you in Miami. Yeah, I look forward to meeting you. Thank you. All right. Peace and love, freaks. Thank you.